0: I read a book a week. I have for 17 years. The very first time I came to Austin, I mean, this was long before I ever decided to move here. I was on the hunt for a book, and I spied book people from across the street, and I had to be in there. The smell of the books, the ambiance, and the place was just packed with people. As soon as I went through that store, I realized that I was going to be in Austin for the rest of my life. I'm Ken Dunn, and this is I Love You So Much.
1: Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm
0: your host, Tali Mosley.
2: I'm Omar Gaiaga.
0: And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. In this week's episode, we
1: welcome meditation teacher and cancer survivor
0: Paige Davis. She joins
1: us to talk about her new book, Here We Grow, Mindfulness Through Cancer and Beyond,
0: and using mindfulness techniques to heal from the inside out. Care2Rock is on a mission to change the lives of foster children through music. The online music lesson company teaches you how to rock out and pairs its teachers with foster children who also want to learn. Our own Omar Gayaga is fresh off his guitar lesson, and we chat with founder Karen Scott.
2: Did you eat Mrs. Baird's bread as a child? Did you take a field trip to the factory as a child? In this week's Web Report, social media editor Eric Webb tells us the real story behind Ninny Baird, a female Texan entrepreneur extraordinaire.
1: We'll end, as always, with our recommendations in a toast. But first, Paige Davis... When the Blue Avocado founder was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 38, her reaction was pretty shocking. Instead of waging a battle against cancer, she embraced the diagnosis. In this segment, she tells Addie why.
0: Thanks for coming to the studio, Paige. Thanks for having me. So how did Oprah affect your cancer journey?
3: Yes. I like to tell people I actually grew up um, Jewish in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were five Jewish people in my high school. Two were my cousins. And while I always appreciated the cultural and traditions of Judaism, I really never connected spiritually. So as we were talking about, like most people, I found my spiritual guidance through Oprah. So literally, Every day after school, I would run home and, um, you know, rush to see who her guest was. And at the time, her spiritual programming was pretty sporadic, but she had all the main people, Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, Christian Northrup, Deepak Chopra. Um, And one day, I remember she had a guest named Bernie Siegel, and he had written a book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And it was about how tools like meditation and visualization can help people um, who are going through cancer or heart disease. And I was just fascinated. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but it was about the mind-body connection. And after, I just begged my mom to take me to the bookstore. And so, you know, at 13, when most girls my age were reading Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, I was reading... Love, Menace, and Miracles by Bernie Siegel, because of Oprah, <laughs> and, and thank
0: God you found that book because
3: yeah. twenty years later you found yourself really needing
0: it. Yeah, can you walk us through the? You know, so your new book really chronicles the the. The deep inner work that happens when you go through a diagnosis, a surgery, and then recovery from cancer, uh, but you had this tool—not just this one tool, but you had lots of tools—and and you write that you'd kind of been preparing your whole life. Can you give us sort of the run, the the sure. shortened version of that very intense time?
3: Yeah, I mean, I tell people that um, my cancer diagnosis was less my crisis point and more a landing pad of just all the tools I'd been exploring my whole life. So I've always been interested in wellness and the mind-body connection. And I used to own a Pilates studio here in Austin. And, um, you know, it's just always been a part of my life. And then, About six years ago, um, when I was with Blue Avocado, I was just kind of your stereotypical stressed-out entrepreneur on the verge of burnout, desperate for something. So I did what a lot of us do. I started Googling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I landed on my first meditation training with Deepak Chopra in the Chopra Center. And it was a game-changer. And I learned I had a lot of misconceptions around meditation, primarily that it's okay to have thoughts. Um, But I also learned that it's really... A set of tools to help soothe our nervous system so we can be more present in high demand situations. So it was literally you know as I was sitting on the table I had just heard the words I broke down and then after a few moments they wanted to do an immediate biopsy and as I saw the needle about to enter my breast I did the only thing I knew to do in that moment and I focused on my breath Um, just like in my meditation and I was overcome by this sense of peacefulness throughout my whole being and I was aware like I'm having a devastating moment in my life right now but there was no denying the peacefulness and I flashed back to the meditation training and remember one of the teachers saying you don't meditate to get good at meditation you meditate to be good at life so you can better cope in stressful situations, be more present, feel more connected. And I remember thinking, oh, this is why people meditate.
0: And you you were telling me that this uh, presence masquerades as positivity.
3: Yeah, that was one of the main things I heard throughout my journey of people saying, oh, you're being so positive. How are you being so positive? And I was just always confused, and even I'm hearing it about the book, and I'm realizing what people are kind of labeling positivity is really about presence. And it's this present moment awareness that really lies at the core of any meditation or mindfulness practice. And, you know, at the end of the day, the past is the past. We don't have control over the future. So the present is really all we have. So we're always much more connected when we're in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just a vitality and a connectedness that people can pick up on when someone's really present. And I have, uh, in
0: my experience, encountered the difference between connecting with your feelings and being consumed by them. Yes. And sort of letting that awareness of your feelings become the monster that then gobbles you up. Yes. And so how, during this process, how did you find that dance between your inner self of, you know, getting to know your inner self while also reaching out and asking for help when you need it?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think this is where meditation mindfulness really, had it's like it had been training my brain and my body. And so in a very tangible way, when I was having real emotions, I know that it's important to feel the physical sensations of the emotions versus getting caught of the story around the emotions. So that was very helpful. And... You know, I just, I knew part of this journey for me was about, like, it really does take a village um, where it's part of the human condition um, to connect with other people. So um, I think I was really craving that. And luckily, I had an amazing support system that really, um, you know, showed up for me. And I w- it's, it's the give and the receive of it. Mm-hmm. So,
0: the cancer diagnosis and subsequent surgery and recovery has really changed your life. Yeah. Can you talk about what you have done in the five years since that all took place?
3: Sure. So, as I mentioned, I was an entrepreneur going into it, and um, I was still working part-time as I was going through the surgeries and treatment, but... Um, After I finished chemo, six months of chemo, I knew just the role that meditation and mindfulness had played for me, and I knew I wanted to deepen my own practice. So that's when I started to get some training. Um, I started working with a teacher out in Sedona, and so now I'm actually teaching meditation and mindfulness in the workplace, so um, for startups, executives, so it really has been a full circle experience.
0: Well, and it's a reminder that you don't have to go through cancer to feel like you're in the middle of a crisis that is too overwhelming to deal with. Yeah. And that meditation can be something that all of us can yeah. use, you know, even as common as our workplace settings. So what are some of the things that come up when people are talking to you? You know, you're in a workplace, maybe a startup, and you're trying to sort of convey this connection, this very emotional, it's a very spiritual connection, but in a workplace. I mean, how do you bridge that gap?
3: You strip out the spiritual.
0: You don't see (laughs) the word. (laughs) the good news is
3: that neuroscience is catching up to what these ancient spiritual traditions have been saying for thousands of years. So I focus a lot on the neuroscience. I'll use slides and and making it really um, about stress reduction and focus and enhanced communication and really making it relevant to the workplace. Because the truth is, you don't have to be spiritual or go to a mountaintop to practice meditation. Um, But if you are spiritual, it absolutely will enhance that. But it is not a requirement. And the type I teach really is secular.
0: One key component to meditation seems to be visualization. Yes. Can you talk to me about how that helped you?
3: Yeah, so one of the main things that was important to me going through my cancer journey is that I wanted to approach it as a love journey. Uh, Maybe it's because I was diagnosed on Valentine's Day, so it seemed an overt sign. Um, But I didn't want to really view it through as a battle to be fought, and I wanted to stay away from terms like fight or battle or poison, and not because I was naive to the reality and the brutality of cancer. I had Um, several family members that have lost their lives, but I think I needed to balance that reality through a more compassionate lens. So one of the ways I did that is um, I worked with my therapist, who's also a Zen Buddhist priest. His name's Flint Sparks um, here in town, and he helped me come up with a visualization where we saw the chemo really is just kind of a loving, friendly energy that was coming in, doing what it needed to do. It's a strong and protective friend. And then really leaving my system. That was important for me. So then I could really visualize myself recovering and getting stronger and eating foods and connecting with people I loved. And um, it was very powerful for me. And it was, um, I think, a game changer. So you tell this kind of, i mean now
0: it, through you're a very funny writer <laughs> in the book uh, i was actually laughing out loud in lots of different places when i wasn't crying um but you write about being on mopac with this heavy news on your heart um how has this experience changed how you interact with this city when you're going around and you're
3: in traffic do you have compassion for the people that are around you that you didn't have before A hundred percent. I mean, and again, this is one of the main tenets of mindfulness, when you can just be present to yourself and the people around you. Just little things like looking people in the eye or smiling to the person in traffic or just acknowledging each other when we're standing in line at the grocery store. So um yeah, I feel much more connected to myself and to others and um yeah, I mean it it really has made an
0: impact. What are some ways that people can support people in their lives who are dealing with cancer or some other life-altering illness?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I think you know, there's no one size fits all when it comes to a cancer journey. Um I was very clear in what would be helpful for me, but I think a lot of people get scared to reach out, like you don't want to bother the person. But I can promise you, like you can't send too many texts or emails or just let someone know that you're thinking of them. Um, they don't expect a response, but it it really does uplift people. But in tangible ways, um, offering to run errands, go to the grocery store. If you're doing a target run, give them a call, see if they need anything. Um, my cousins all rallied together and arranged to have um, weekly flowers delivered during treatment, and that was amazing. Um, and, yeah, and I, you know, had some get-togethers around kind of the big milestones because celebrating the milestones was important for me. So I think it's cancer can be so isolating, so it is important to connect, but everyone's going to do that in their own way, so just having patience for... People.
0: Are there some support groups that you have found or, you know, just basically the cancer recovery community in Austin? What does that look like?
3: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So the BCRC is a um, big resource for breast cancer survivors and um, Flatwater Foundation is a wonderful organization that actually provides um, social services for cancer patients and their families, um, and to everything from therapy to tools like meditation or mindfulness. Um, and yeah, there's tons of um, fitness groups that are supportive. I go to a Kundalini group for cancer survivors, and it's been really um, an important part of uh, Kind of the the new normal. So that's what I love about Austin is that there's a there's a yoga class for everything. <laughs> yes. There's a
0: group for everything. Yeah. Um. And that's what I think makes our city so special. That it's just it's such a wonderful place yeah. to be for no matter what you're dealing with. Exactly. Um. So you're going to be talking about your book at Book People on May 22nd at 7 p.m. Yes. And people can come and uh, hear more about your your entire journey that you've been on so far and what lies ahead. So, yes. Um. Well, thanks, Paige Spurt, coming in. I really oh, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for
3: having me.
2: Karen Scott used to be a juvenile courts prosecutor. Now she helps foster care children find hope through music, and music teachers earn money from their laptops. In this episode, she tells us how Care to Rock came to be. Karen, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you. So I think uh, as, as we're, I wrote a whole story for 512 Tech uh, about Care to Rock and, you know, you can go read that if you would, you miss some pages. Uh, but why don't you explain to us what it actually is? Because I think I I, I explained it as, you know, an educational music learning platform, but it kind of tells how it actually works and, and how people are going to use it.
4: Yeah, it's, it's great. It is. You described it well. It's an online music education learning platform. So... You can learn guitar, piano, singing, clarinet, whatever it is you want to learn. You can learn online, and you just simply go and pick a teacher, book a lesson, and you meet virtually online. Um, and we use a high-tech platform to connect you with your teacher online, and our teachers also volunteer for youth and foster care. So our goal is to really connect communities through this music platform,
2: and it's sort of like um, like video conferencing for music lessons.
4: Exactly, you picture Skype, but much better than Skype. <laughs> like we don't use we use our own platform that's browser to browser, so you never have to download any software, and you just click your open your email or log into your dashboard, and you're in your lesson meeting virtually, um, video conferencing with your music teacher.
2: I can't even get like a web meeting to go like that. <laughs> like, oh, you got to install this plugin and then this plugin. And I'm sure oh, there's a podcast
4: <laughs>
1: advertisement somewhere that will t- direct you many ways to have a meeting, such as GoToMeeting. Oh, yeah. I Sponsor love it us. that
4: yeah, I love it that you just you don't have to download anything because we all do have a lot of software on our you know a lot of things that we've downloaded. But it's we would make it very easy for parents and just for people to get into their lesson. And Karen, uh, care
1: to rock? And I want I want to pronounce it correctly. Care to rock? That's how I say it in my mind, like a question, a dare. It's a little bit. Like it. It's a little bit Tom's Shoes esque in that you're paying for a lesson, and that money supports these teachers who volunteer long term to mentor foster children. Why was it important to you to reach out specifically to children in foster care?
4: Yeah, um, and you put that so well. But that is exactly what we do, and the the reason. I really wanted to connect with youth in foster care through this platform is I had been a juvenile prosecutor many years ago in Austin and saw lots of kids in foster care coming through the court system, and most of the kids were really great kids. They just were not, they didn't have community resources available, and as I got involved in the music community here in Austin um, years ago, I started a nonprofit where we connected youth in foster care with musicians for lessons, and they just right away, it was so many kids requesting to come in because they just is a great emotional outlet for them and a really great way for these kids to set goals and just have access to music and the arts that they otherwise did not. And so Care to Rock is an attempt to reach more and more kids with this and be able to bring the best teachers across the country onto the platform from Nashville or Austin and allow these teachers to reach kids in foster care across the country as well through technology. That's
1: so Moving to here, um, I would love to talk about what it feels like to take a lesson. and fortunately we've got our own Omar Gayaga yeah. available <laughs> to talk about that experience. You, at the time of this taping, took it just a few
4: hours ago.
2: Yeah, to, uh, this this morning I took a like a half hour lesson, and I, I, they're available in increments of, of half an hour, right? Or you can yes. do an hour, forty five minutes.
4: Absolutely, thirty minutes is the shortest lesson type.
2: Okay, well, I did the thirty minute one just to kind of get a taste of it, and you know, I brought up my laptop in and, and, and an acoustic guitar and just set it up on the table. I l- had a link to connect directly and then boom I'm looking at the music instructor a uh, guy named Michael who's here in Austin uh and uh you know we got right into it he's I was he kind of asked me like what do you know what do, what do would you like to know um, I told him I know like all of three chords maybe. And I don't really know much else. I don't read music or anything like that, like my daughter. Uh, so we just kind of launched right into it. And, and what was, what I liked about it the most what part that he could see me, I could see him, we could communicate, uh, with the webcam, I could point it to my hands. So we could see what I was doing. I could see what he was doing with his hands and he could kind of, you know, guide me through it uh, was just that, you know, it wasn't just the lesson. Like, we've also chatted a bit. We could also talk about, like, oh, you live in Austin. What do you do? And, it, and he kind of gave me a little bit of his background, like, you know, what he does musically. Um, so it was also like a, a very quick kind of getting to know you in addition to just like a straight lesson, which, you know, if you were doing this through like a YouTube video, if you were just doing le- like trying to learn from just watching YouTube videos, you wouldn't have that interaction. You wouldn't have that couldn't ask questions, have the one-to-one of like, well, I know how to do this, but where do I put my finger to do that? You know, like you wouldn't have that sort of direct line to someone to interact with in real time. So that's what
1: I found compelling about it.
4: And I like it that he (laughs) mentioned the screen views, because that is one of the things that we have that's really cool, is the multiple screen views designed for lessons. Listeners, the guitar is coming out. (laughs) This is is what I learned. Uh, Minor chord. All right.
1: Definitely a minor chord
2: major Matricore. Yay! <laughs>
1: Yay! <laughs> oh my God. That's what I learned today. <laughs> can you play Free Fallen?
2: No, I cannot talk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Karen, how do you find teachers for Care to Rock? Is it, do they come to you? I know you guys just launched. Um, is it word of mouth? Like, how do you find the talent to populate this program?
4: Yeah, we um, recruit heavily in towns like Austin that have a lot of great, talented musicians that are looking to fill their schedules. Maybe they. Either are a touring musician or they might be a public music teacher and have extra hours to fill on the weekends. It just depends. And we're designed um, to ha- fill those flexible hours that musicians and teachers have to make extra income. So we recruit heavily um, online and in, in towns where there's a lot of talented musicians around um, North Carolina, Nashville, Austin. I mean, we and we typically we have just word of mouth, too, because musicians and uh, music teachers really like the impact part of what we're doing. So they're excited to not just teach online, but be part of what we're trying to do. So yeah, I imagine it'd
1: be such a great resource for musicians out there because it pays them. But there's also heart payment, too, of extending the mission, like you said.
4: So I have to tell you guys, uh, Omar, was at our launch event that we just had? And a teacher was there that came up to me and I'm I'm used to hearing this from foster parents or kids in foster care but the teacher came up to me and said, "You've absolutely changed my life through th- what you're doing." And I was really taken aback because this was a teacher. He's taught this child for the past 3 years, not through the site but through my prior work. And he said, "I'm g- he's going to come to my wedding someday and I'm going to go to his. We'll Aww. always be friends and I've learned so much from teaching him." And so wow. I feel like it is really special. Not just for the students, but for the teachers, because you're changing someone's life. When you give this skill to a child in foster care, it's literally can change their life completely. I've seen that. So I think that, you know, musicians are, they're giving people and they really do get a lot out of being a part of this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. When I interviewed Karen for the, the, the story in 512 Tech, I had mentioned that it reminded me a lot of this golf um, app. Uh, I think it's called Pro Swing Tips. Uh, that Anasta Knight created, and what it reminded me of was that he had sort of the same thing. Like you see, all these golf instructors who have all this knowledge, who know all these great things, and but they're kind of sitting around the golf course waiting for you know for the lessons to start or whatever. If they're an instructor, uh, there's a lot of idle time that they could be using to help other people. So for them, it's like, oh well, there's this way that I can do it from anywhere at any time,
4: absolutely, uh,
2: and not not have it. Be a thing where the person has to come in, you know, face to face and do it. So, like, I, it struck me as very similar uh, ways of using technology to sort of facilitate. Like, what do you do with all that idle time when you're not, when you want to be working and you don't have, you know, things filling your schedule.
1: Right. Um, I was on the website today, Karen, and I saw that this is impressive. You guys just launched, but over 300 lessons have been donated so far. What is the kind of feedback that you're getting from kids in the program? I mean, you said it was life changing from the teacher's perspective. How are, are the kids able to talk to you and tell you what the experience is like? Because I'm sure you're using that feedback to improve the tool.
4: Yes, exactly. Well, since the website actually just launched, a lot of these teachers have been volunteering for youth and foster care. But now this is the first time to bring all of that online through care to rock So we communicate with the foster parent or the caseworker or the guardian. We have an intake system for them where you just go to our contact us page and you'll, you'll see where They can put in the application for the child in foster care. And then we kind of handhold the process with them to make sure they're paired with the right teacher. The foster parent knows how to access the lesson. And this is all just happening now. So it's really exciting. Uh, CASA, our nonprofit partner, has Youth in Foster Care requesting laptops. Um, through the state of Texas. And so those kids will be picking their teachers and getting ready to come on the the platform. And the cool thing about that is, kids in foster care move a lot. Sometimes they can move up to six times a year. And so it's really tough for them to be able to... Have a sense of continuity. Yeah, it's it's so unfair to them because a lot of times they can't control where they're moved to and if they are in band or they are, are learning guitar, they lose that ability to continue. And so, um, that what we're really excited about is through Care to Rock, we can get these kids' laptops um, through the state of Texas and through CASA, and then get them with a teacher. And when they, if they move, this is something that they can keep doing, um, which is really valuable—the continuity and building the trust with their mentor. It's it can really change their lives.
2: Uh, well, Karen, if someone's interested in. in um in taking lessons or, or signing up uh, they would go to care2rock.com what, what's kind of the pricing structure like what, what is someone going to pay to do like a, say a half hour lesson once a week
4: yeah a half hour lessons are $32 and you, it's very simple to go on if you have a question about who's the right teacher for you you just go to our site and you can browse around shop around and you can cli- click click uh, meet your teacher and click a free intro meet your teacher online for 10 minutes and just ask them hey you know what you have Tell I want to know this and just kind of get to know them or for your child either way. Um, Yeah. And if you if you are on our site, you see a teacher you like, you can just book a lesson. It's thirty two dollars. You just pay. It's a very quick. Uh, checkout process. And then when it comes time for your lesson, you just click your email like you did Omar and just you'll open up and your teacher will be waiting for you there.
2: And it's uh, the requirement is either like a laptop or desktop with a webcam, right?
4: Exactly. You need we we recommend highly that you have a laptop desktop. So it's going to be a better lesson experience for you webcam. um, Make sure your mic is working and you have Wi Fi.
1: Well, again, listeners, that's care2rock.com, number two, numeral two, when you visit that website. And Karen has actually made available a special discount code for I love you so much, listeners.
4: Absolutely. When you're checking out, if you enter LOVE360 as your coupon code, you'll get 25% off. So try us out. It's a great price to come in.
1: Karen, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your mission with us. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
2: Welcome to your own web report. How are you?
5: I'm doing great, Omar and Tali. Thanks for having me at my own web report. (laughs) So I am intrigued by the woman that
1: is Minnie Baird, and she was quite an entrepreneur. Uh, What did you find out when you researched her?
5: So Ninia Lily, no, excuse me, Ninia Lilla, Ninny Baird. Ninny Baird. Ninny Baird. That is a lot of name. It's true. She's the namesake of Texas's most famous carb pusher. Uh, not car Pusher, Carb Pusher. Mm -hmm. She uh, is a Texas icon. Everyone knows Mrs. Baird, right? Because you know the Mrs. Baird sandwich bread bag. You know the Mrs. Baird uh, fruit pie. You know the Mrs. Baird cinnamon roll package. She's right up there with Mrs. Fields, Mrs. Butterworth.
1: Yeah, she she is definitely (laughs) one of the missuses. But I think the reason that... uh, It's such a name among Texans is because it's cheap bread. So we associate Mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. Baird bread with barbecues or picnics or family gatherings when you need just a lot of bread.
2: Or
5: field trips growing up. Or field trips growing up. It's like butter crust but more personal, Mm Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. So who's the woman behind these crusts? Who's the woman behind (laughs) the bread? Well, uh, here at the Web Report, we uh, wanted to find that out. So we turned to our friends, the Texas State Historical Association, who has an entry online for Mrs. Baird. And we found out uh, she was born in 1869, Uh, she was orphaned, and later she met Mr. Baird, who was also an orphan. They got married at a very young age and moved from Tennessee to Fort Worth, where this is my favorite like Baird family trivia uh, nugget, or not really a nugget, my favorite Baird family trivia uh, crumb, (laughs) perhaps. (laughs) uh, They brought the first steam popcorn machine to Fort Worth and it was so successful. They opened up another steam popcorn machine just a couple blocks away.
1: They were entrepreneurial, they these were. Bairds.
5: They were. They were steampunk before. They were steampunk Arr. before it was, a thing. <laughs> was a thing, yeah. And so they took their steam popcorn steam money, corn. <laughs> steam corn. They took their steam popcorn money uh, and opened up a restaurant where Nini, Nini Baird uh, Was the baker? She baked the the breads and the pies, and and this is all going down in Fort Worth. It's all going down in Fort Worth. Okay, and then she (laughs) like this popcorn's okay, but have you tried the bread? It's amazing.
1: (laughs) This is pre keto diet. (laughs) Yeah,
5: absolutely. Yeah, no, there were no, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, gluten free, carb light uh, diets going Mm -hmm. on in the Baird's time. I don't think, Uh, but Mister Baird eventually uh, started struggling with some failing health, so Missus Baird had to support the family like the entrepreneur she is. Yeah, perhaps it's very possible. Uh, And so she started Mrs. Beard's Bread in 1908. And then the rest is history.
2: That's what, mm, 110 years
5: now? Something like that. So what was, I didn't come here to do math, Omar.
1: <laughs> What's fascinating to me is that Mr. Baird died at age 34. I mean, that is a really young age to die of diabetes. But mm-hmm. then again, it's the beginning of the 20th century. Sure. And she outlived him by 30, 40 years. So yeah. even though she started the company with her husband, she was really an entrepreneur because then there were four cities in Texas that took up Mrs. Baird's uh, factories.
5: It's true. It's true. And uh, she also, uh, when she died at age 92, the Texas Senate's uh, uh, honored her as a living example for mothers, wives, business executives, Christians, and good people the world over. So she made quite an impact.
2: I'm most impressed that she's a real person, that she's not just like a brand or yeah. something I mean. like, like
1: like a character.
2: Like Orville Redenbacher. Like, is that a real person? We'll probably never know. Yeah. Do
1: y'all know who is a real person? Is Colonel Sanders. True. I listened to a podcast this weekend where they go to Corbin, Kentucky, and take the... Um, the host to Colonel Sanders' house. So oh, that's awesome. Not only is you know. he
2: re- not only is he real, he's Reba. Yeah, he's also Reba He's Reba McIntyre. Yeah.
5: We already <laughs> knew Colonel Sanders is real because we all heard his hit song "Fancy." So, real and Reba. <laughs> so at the same time. Another really great thing about not Reba, but about Mrs. Baird. And Did maybe, not know
1: how to react. Yeah,
5: what was the segment about again? <laughs>
1: Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Baird.
5: I rolled with you, Reba.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. you guys are playing it cool. Yeah. I was the one that was like major curveball.
5: I always roll with Reba. But, but anyway. back to Mrs. Baird. Back to Mrs. Baird. So one thing that I really like about her, I think that really shows her Texas gumption, is that she bought a $75 commercial oven from a hotel in 1915. She only paid $25 cash for that, and she paid for the rest of the oven in bread. That's yes. amazing.
1: Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. yeah, you want to eat
5: how much bread by tomorrow before it gets stale? <laughs> okay. She's not a businesswoman; okay, she's lady. a businesswoman. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. She, exactly. No, super savvy there. Um, well, that was quite a, a transition, as well as a great piece of information and an even better segment, Eric Webb. But thank you for educating us about Ninny Baird.
5: It is my privilege, and honor. thank you, Mrs. Baird, and thank you, Eric.
1: is a moment in our show where we come to a toast. That's where we go around the table making some recommendations of things we feel you, our listeners, should check out. So um,
0: Addie, you look like ready to pop out of the chute. Well, I've been reading all weekend. It was Mother's Day, so I allowed myself that. And um, I'm actually finishing a book right now that made me think of two other books, but they're all related. So I'm just going to breeze through them very quickly. I'm really interested in how fruit evolved and how fruit also interacted with our own just evolution as a country and as a global society. And so I never thought about this until I read a book in 2008 called The Fruit Hunters by Adam Gullner. And it is a uh, nonfiction book about just the role that fruit has played since the dawn of civilization in, you know, from hunter-gatherer societies all the way through to today. When you walk through the grocery store and you see these big piles of apples, you know, there are actually thousands of apple varieties, but you only see like eight in the grocery store. So that was kind of my introduction to this world. I really fell in love with like 19th century botanists. Thanks to Elizabeth Gilbert, she wrote the signature of all things a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, how was that book? I remember oh, I got, so it was I, beautiful. Oh, yeah. okay.
1: I heard it got mixed reviews, and I oh, couldn't I loved out it. Why. I mean, she
0: t- typically writes, um, you know, nonfiction books, but this is a fictionalized account of a, a young botanist who, you know, never marries, and she's just got this wanderlust, and she's the daughter of a wealthy Northeasterner, and so she travels all around the world when women were not traveling all over the world. And her particular specialty is moss. And so Elizabeth Gilbert, with her writing prowess, really um, helps you look at moss in a new way. But the book I'm finishing right now is called The The Food Explorer, and it's by David Smith. And it's about a real-life botanist and international traveler in the late 1800s named David Fairchild. And he's credited with introducing all kinds of different pomelos and dates and um, wheat strains. And, you know, basically he traveled all over the world on a ship for 20 years, sending seedlings and, and cuttings of plants back to the U.S. And so and, you know, really captures what was going on in the country at the end of, the, of that century and, and the turn into the industrial era and basically how globalization took place in our food supply and, and why America. You know, I'd never taken a moment to think about why Americans were so good at inventing things. I, w- mm. I wish I was as obsessed
2: with anything as this person is <laughs> obsessed with a strain of fruit. No,
0: but like you're so right, Addie.
1: I'm um I love the political history of bananas. When someone told me the real meaning or the
0: origins of the term banana republic, I was like Whoa And if you think about it, every single fruit has a story like that. Yeah. And so yeah. if you at all are interested in that kind of stuff, I would recommend The Fruit Explorer by David Smith. And if you just like Elizabeth Gilbert or you would prefer a fiction book for this summer, check out the signature of all things. Well, so, what's
2: your story, Star Fruit?
0: Yeah. <laughs> And if you just want a quick version of it. <laughs> oh, no, really? I want to w- know. Was that, was that shade? <laughs> no, I really want to
2: know what's the deal with star fruit?
0: <laughs> You know, he did mention it in the book, but I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you. But there is a documentary. If you just want an hour and a half of this kind of nonsense, just look up The Fruit Hunters. Um, and Bill Pullman actually stars in this He's Aww, He's a fruit hunter, too. Because cool. right now, there's a whole, like, people travel all over the world just to try the craziest fruits that you and I have never heard of. So it's this whole, like, you know, sub topic of food yeah. people, so that's why I'm interested Sweet. in it. Sweet. Uh, Omar, what do you have, sir?
2: Nothing as interesting as that. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> let me see. Well, I have two uh, two Netflix specials, comedy that you should be watching. This is like required viewing. I will accept no no uh, broach of, of this.
0: <laughs> I love a good assignment.
2: <laughs> yeah, so uh, and they're ones you should you should have heard. If you're a comedy nerd at all, you've, you've already watched these or heard about them. Uh, so John Mulaney, uh, <laughs> the comeback Yay. kid at Radio City Music Hall. Um, and Ali Wong.
3: Yay, uh, double
2: yay. Which is a hard knock wife. It's brand new special. (laughs) Uh, Both brand new specials on Netflix. Uh, The Mulaney one, I think, came out two weeks ago. The Ali Wong one came out on Mother's Day. So get on that. She's pregnant again. Oh, Oh, really? I was going to ask about that. So here's the thing. (laughs) I have not seen either of these specials. But I saw both performances of this material, so I saw John Mulaney oh. at Moon Tower do this this special oh wow this set of material, and I saw Ali Wong last year at Moon Tower do do her you know and both were just Killed. two of the best performances I've ever seen I, Ali Wong's especially because you know if you saw Baby Cobra it was all about everything up to that up to her about to have a baby
1: capturing her husband
2: now she's talking about the real <laughs> stuff that happens when you have a baby. And all of the motherhood stuff. And it is just, and and the thing is, like, you think, oh, it probably softened her up a little. She's probably a little bit more emotional now. No, she is just as mean and harsh. And real talk about everything. And the stuff she talks about to do with, like, motherhood and what it does to your marriage and nipples, like, it is real, real stuff. And you will love, if you've been through that, you will love it. It is so good. (laughs) Uh, and the John Mulaney thing, the thing that surprised me about Mulaney is that there's still people that haven't heard of him. Uh, he I hosts- know.
1: For being as like, uh, prolific as he is, he has a way of flying under the radar. I, th- I feel like that's because he's also a writer.
2: Yeah. And now oh, yeah. everyone is aware of like scenes. his
1: like writing, like what shows he's a part of.
2: He was never in the SNL cast, but he, I think his voice, as much as anybody's, helped shape those years that he was on there, just as a head writer. Uh, and what really... Brings it home to me is that he was on SNL. He hosted recently, and it had the lowest ratings of like any SNL episode for like the whole year. I'm like, it's Mulaney. It's amazing, and his monologue was incredible. And I was like, why are people watching this? I think it's because of that because people don't really know who he is yeah. if they're not a comedy nerd. So uh, Mulaney's specials, as good or better than than his other comedy specials, just he's just top notch. Great writing, great delivery. He's just I he's probably my favorite. Him and Ali Wong are probably my two favorite working comics today. So. And have
1: I love that pairing, too, because it's such two wildly different affects as comics mm-hmm. on stage. So
2: Yeah, I mean, the, and Mulaney, the thing I like about Mulaney is, and Ali Wong is that they both have such distinct voices that are so different from every other comedian. I mean, he's such a uh, beta male.
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> the, that's what I'm going to You don't with. see a lot of beta male
2: yeah. comics out there, and Ali yeah. Wong is so the opposite of what you think yes. you're going to get when yeah. you watch her. So, yeah, both of those specials, watch them, Netflix, do it. They're great. Awesome. Netflix is killing
0: the comedy game. Oh yeah,
5: that's yeah, so true. Okay, Tally, Tally. what are you okay. into?
1: all right. I think everyone has probably heard of this by the time the show airs, but I just watched yesterday. This is America, the this childish America. Gambino music video. Have you seen it? Oh yeah, you've seen <laughs> it. Okay, About, like,
2: twenty times. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, it, do y'all think it's, it's terribly nerdy to be getting into all of the like critical readings of I, the music videos? That's what I did because I'm so into it. Yeah. Like, and. So I guess what I'm recommending is that if you live under a rock, please go watch This Is America, the music video, and then go look for some critical readings and look for the themes. Um, a theme that I've seen throughout is the framing of some of the camera shots that match up to Jim Crow era comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
2: the, the pose with the gun and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. His facial expressions, too. And we
2: just say this is Childish Gambino, who is Donald Glover, who is the guy who is Orlando uh, uh, Calrissian Atlanta.
1: Yeah. he's just so good at everything that he does and he's like he's he's the son of Danny Glover no. R- right? No. He's oh not, he's not? No no no. Oh god okay because I was, not, like, I was like this is nepotism working out.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did just host SNL though.
1: <sighs> Although <sighs> okay, I will say it. so
0: the New Yorker had a really great piece about Donald right. Glover yeah, 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 and yeah. I think that that is a really important read especially as we're processing that video but also when I watched him on SNL I was like oh my god so many white people touched this. You can just tell really? whenever you watch it when yeah. you because the New Yorker piece Ted Friend w- wrote it and it was about just how Atlanta has allowed him and I think the video the music video is a perfect example of this to create unfettered by the filter of a white editor or a white producer yeah and and that's just a really power it's a different product than right. when you go through the Lorne Michael filter for instance
1: yeah yeah oh that's such a great point point. and the
2: director of the video is the, the director of like ninety percent of the episodes of Atlanta it's oh. a I was s- I was just I was
1: just about to ask if like that. Um, because uh, th- that aesthetic, like they're very similar. So yeah,
2: Hiro Morai is—he's the editor. I mean, he directs. I mean, the ones that. Donald Glover doesn't direct himself is typically he's the same director and it, it's got a very similar fluid style to it yeah sort of yeah. deadpan against chaos right right yeah Atlanta has a lot of that yeah
0: well and I admit to I just now started Atlanta after I watched this is America I was like okay I'm just gonna get on Oh, Atlanta's I fantastic this. Yeah.
1: Atlanta's so great and Mike like I'm just amazed with the amount of talent this person has I mean like I did see him do stand-up, though, you know, once, Omar, and actually it wasn't that great. (laughs) No, he's he's
2: not a stand-up comic. He's not a stand-up comic. His his background was started in sketch, like doing sketch YouTube videos. But I'll say something interesting that Joe Gross has pointed out to me from that. It might have been from the same article, was that, you know, this guy directs all these episodes of Atlanta, and then the one episode that Donald Glover directs, he gets the Emmy nomination and the Emmy win. Uh... And the guy was—and that when they were making that episode— the hero, the director was, you know, Donald Glover asked him for advice. He's like, "You don't need my advice. You're good at everything. Damn it!" <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
2: Can I ask <laughs> yeah, Tali totally, that
0: as a yeah. dancer? How did you? I mean, oh I, his movement. He's such an amazing possession dancer. Possession of his body, yeah, is just incredible.
2: See, That's another thing he's not supposed to be good at, that he's great at. He's, like, he's so good. No,
1: I mean, the thing, the way he like moves though, is it's very much owned. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wouldn't even like, I don't know. It's like hard to classify it as a style. Like it's not like. It's sort of hip-hop. It's sort of like, um, I don't know, clubby a little bit, too. Um, and sort of like um, James Brown. I feel like I see like some James Brown in his movement also. But like, it's just very much owned. You know, It seems like this is like an organic, this is the way this person naturally moves. And I don't know if he just had a killer choreographer and worked on it a million times or if it was on the fly, but, yeah, he's so good. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for uh, all of your toast, guys. Yeah. Great toast, everyone. That's our show. She's Addie. He's Omar. I'm Tolly. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at LoveAustin360. If you liked what you heard
0: today, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. It helps other people discover the show. I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidalis. The show is made with support from Features Editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com.
2: You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672.
1: This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Lexus of Austin.
0: We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your pre-summer snow cones. Until next week, we'll see you at a Round Rock Express game.